as a tourist destination, the remote areas in the, in the Nordic countries have become particularly valuable for all kinds of stakeholders, governments, commercial players, and these local communities. This is Christian Schramm. He's joining us from Iceland. Over the last decade, remote and rural Nordic regions have seen growth in the number of foreign tourists. Tourists who want to experience wild, untouched nature firsthand. And I think the growing interest in these remote areas as kind of an Arctic tourism destination is based on a long fascination with the high north. Christian is an associate professor at the University of Iceland. His research looks into the branding of remote areas and how these places can become tourist destinations, something Iceland has gotten pretty good at. In this context, Iceland falls within this trope as well of the northern voyage and serving as an area that even in some people's minds is free of anthropogenic pressures. That is to say, it it seems to be untouched by the human impact that most of Europe and uh, North America is. In this episode, we'll hear just how the Nordic countries managed to brand darkness, bad weather and a sleepover in the middle of nowhere as a tourist attraction. Is it just pure luck? Because, you know, series like Lillehammer, The Bridge, and Vikings have made the idea of the Nordics so appealing? Or are people around the world seeking an off-the-beaten-path kind of alternative to counter mass tourism to well-known popular destinations? These are just some of the discussions happening in this online Nordic Talks event, co-arranged by the Obo Academy University and the Swedish Literature Society in Finland. One thing is for sure, though. The Nordic countries are using the soft power of their culture, ideologies, and institutional norms to attract visitors. How are they doing this? How long can the coolness of the Nordic fringes last? And how is a similar approach unfolding in Scotland? I'm Afton Halloran, and you're listening to the Nordic Talks podcast. When you are trying to sell a place for many decades, the stories for tourism branding, that was the picture-perfect, colorful, summary places to visit. This is Sylvia Gimethy Murup petersen an associate professor at the Copenhagen Business School. And it was always framed by superlatives, iconic sites, the word of wonders, uh, record-breaking monuments, uh, must-visit manifests. And I think the result has been a very uneven distribution of visitors across the landscape. Sylvia specializes in tourism geography. According to her, tourism as we know it is changing. Remote areas have become more attractive, And now people are seeking out experiences in relatively unknown and undervalued parts of the Nordic region. These kind of the dark sides, literally speaking, of the the Nordic region uh, has become something that was uh, very authentic and uh, trustworthy. uh, And at the same time, an unplugged experience that money cannot buy. So why it became... Uh, attractive and interesting for the other parts of the world is 
because the story template uh, was new. <laughs> if you look at uh, the Nordic noir films uh, trying to portray this kind of melancholic, uh, dystopic uh, uh, social parts of the Nordic, that, that was something new. So I think that there, there is an element of novelty uh, that could speak uh, to wider global audiences. And probably it's because it is a timely response to contemporary consumer trends uh, that is looking for introspection, slowing down, uh, reflecting upon things, morally, morally correct or responsible uh, consumptions, ways of consuming. Interestingly enough, this kind of quirkiness all of a sudden become to represent a very sophisticated style of consumption. Strange as it may sound, this development has made it possible for the Nordic countries to brand themselves as exotic. The place branding of Scandinavia and West Nordic countries, that is to say Greenland, Iceland and the Faroes, and sometimes Norway, is also, I think, based on a sort of exotification of people that goes back centuries. And there are probably lessons to be learned from that sort of external exotization in the past. And um, tourism operatives, they appear to be drawing on these exotic images of the North that have played a considerable part um, also in the self-representation of Iceland in recent decades. The fascination with the Nordics also goes for areas close to the region. Take neighboring Scotland, for example. This is Alistair Mackey, a researcher from Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. I think there's a lot of interest in Scotland for the Nordic states. Um, and there's many reasons behind that. And the first is there's a lot of similarities between Scotland and the Nordic states. There's geographic similarity and they're just close to each other. Um, there's climate, similar climate, similar landscape. Um, there's historical connections, linguistic connections, uh, all of that. And I, I, I think in that sense that it already makes it quite easy to, to make that connection between Scotland uh, and the Nordics. But after Brexit, this interest has increased. And I think what really cannot be ignored there is the issue of Scottish independence, which is, has been very closely connected to Brexit. So for many of these supporters, I think, you know, the, the Nordic states are very much an ideal. You know, what could we be? Uh, what is the best we could be? And because the landscape and the location and the history and, you know, because there are all those connections, making that, you know, that connection uh, and seeing Scotland in that potential, I think, is, is made quite easy. And it's not completely unjustified, I, I, I think. I think there is a lot of... Um, there is a lot of potential there uh, and, and Scotland can take that, the Nordic States as an example. But I think if you'd ask most people in Scotland whether Scotland is a Nordic state, um, I imagine most people would, would say it's not. It'll depend a bit on, on where you go. Scotland has succeeded in branding some of their own remote areas using similar tactics to what we've seen in the Nordic countries. And Alistair knows that it's no coincidence. In his work, he's looked into small state theory and the concept of soft power. And soft power is exactly what small countries are using when promoting themselves. Soft power is 
the short definition to that uh, is that the soft power is the power of attraction, uh, as opposed to hard power being power through coercion. So it's basically trying to get uh, other, you know, if we do it in the context of countries, it's trying to get other countries to be like us because we're attractive. You know, we're, we're a good, uh, we have a good reputation. Reputation is a key word in, in uh, soft power. Whereas examples of hard power are sort of more classic military power or economic power, things like that, you know, where you can clearly, um, they're more tangible, they're more quantifiable. Um, whereas soft power is, is uh, often intangible and uh, is often also very hard to quantify, to count, because attraction in the end is very subjective. You know, what is attractive to someone might not be attractive to uh, someone else. So it's, it, soft power is very context dependent. Um, and there's a few more sort of ifs that we need to consider uh, with soft power. Uh, definitely when we think of, of reputation is that we also need to consider authenticity, you know, and, and credibility. But I think the Nordic brand does have a lot of soft power. And what I said before about Scotland wanting to be, or many people in Scotland wanting Scotland to be like other Nordic states, demonstrates that there is a particular soft power to that brand. So exercising soft power basically means shaping the preferences of others through appeal and attraction. In the case of the Nordics, this is done by emphasizing things like gender equality, the welfare state model, the love of nature, or being home to some of the world's happiest people. But it's very important that the reputation that you want to build is actually rooted in reality. Your story or claims are more credible if it's not you who is stating or claiming it or putting it in a fancy advertisement promotional video, but rather having other legitimizing agencies telling that for you. So uh, if you have international organizations uh, like or reports like the World Happiness Report, who indeed tell that uh, the Nordic countries uh, feature always, uh, they, are, they are topping the list of the World Happiness Country. Or um, then there are the, the Good Country Index of one of um, uh, the Dutch uh, place brand uh, metrics organization tell that the Nordic countries are Robin Hood societies uh, where the social polarization is uh, the little uh, or the, the, the least. Or you have global media presenting uh, stories about egalitarianism, about inclusion, uh, diversity, and that, that is the generic storyline. So you say that there is someone else, uh, someone more uh, credible um, who is uh, telling your stories. Being honest about what you don't have also helps to strengthen the message. An example of how this is done is the Land of Everyday Wonders campaign in Denmark. The campaign is very clear that there are no mountains in Denmark, but that there is so much more to find, and that the real experience is the nice people and the unexpected encounters that you can experience as a visitor. Visit Denmark's uh, campaign on the Land of Everyday Wonders is a that uh, we celebrate the extra in the ordinary. You have to come to visit the Nordic countries or, the, uh, or Denmark to get your ultimate bucket list of simple things. 
you take pleasure in small things, uh, in finding wonder in things you see. It is the understated beauty that is the new black. The Icelandic Tourism Authority did something similar. That's reminiscent and can be compared to the uh, campaigns in Iceland and Greenland. For example, the Greenland campaign, Be a Pioneer, which is an amazing statement and uh, considering the colonial history and, and also Iceland's uh, Inspired by Iceland campaign, which was in effect a, a desperate attempt at first to reverse the effects of the Eyjafjallajökull uh, volcano. You can hear even how I have to slow down to pronounce it. Uh, I saw a meme this morning that said that Chuck Norris can't pronounce Eyjafjallajökull backwards. But um, so this this campaign was was a huge uh, f- uh, feat seen by many, and uh, which incorporated um, a lot of local people as well, and and uh, every uh, Icelandophile uh, available to uh, sort of start to advertise uh, Iceland. And this is an ongoing campaign that I think um, builds a lot of this sort of um, borealization or, or arctification of, of uh, northern peoples. Another important aspect of tourism in remote areas is the local environment and the local people. Because what happens to those tiny societies when the number of visitors increases? The Scottish Highlands have experienced some problems related to this. We've got in Scotland the North Coast 500, which is a a recent, it was started in 2015, and it's basically um, a, a brand for a road uh, or a route in um, in the north of Scotland, which is just over 500 miles long. Um, and it's in a corner of the country which uh, used to be not as much frequented by the usual you know, tourist, uh, tourist routes. Um, and the idea of branding it uh, like this is, you know, very easily is, is, is to get uh, more people to visit this area and more people, of course, also to invest in this area uh, while they're doing it. Um, and if you look at the website of uh, the North Coast 500, it has its own website, you will see images that could be in Iceland as well, or could be in Norway, you know, uh, empty, beautiful landscapes with uh, a road, you know, zigzagging through them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's very much that Nordic image. Um, and this has partly been successful. I mean, it's 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 got a lot of people uh, to this part of Scotland, um, a lot of visitors. It's also uh, brought investment with it, but at the same time, there's been a lot of criticism for it. Um, partly that the investment has been focused not in the you know small villages etc. on the route, but in the larger uh, centres along the route, because we find that visitors. Uh, will you know buy their shopping in the larger places, but then camp throughout uh, along the routes and not actually invest that much in the local uh, economy. Um, we find that the infrastructure simply can't handle it in many cases, so that these small roads, which are partly used to make it attractive to give this you know uh, pristine uh, image. Uh, can't handle the amount of traffic or we get people driving on these roads that are inexperienced uh, and they're very easily blocked these roads they're very small and then we find that local um, residents can't get to work or can't get to wherever they need to be because the roads are blocked 
the local housing market has become overrun uh, with people trying to buy houses to, you know, uh, make Airbnbs and things like that. Uh, and young people, locally employed young people, are finding it very difficult to afford housing, etc. So, you know, there's a lot of problems that come with it. And these problems are very contrasting to this idea of the well-being uh, of the North. So there's a conflict of interest. When we think of this Nordic brand, there's, there's really two sides to it. You know, one side, we've got this emptiness, this pristineness, uh, and almost, you know, we want some local people there, but it's also almost about just having this empty landscape. And on the other side, we've got this society that's supposed to take care of its people where everyone's wealthy and there's well-being, etc. And in examples like this, the two clash um, very much. So can sustainable development and economic growth in remote communities go hand in hand? Well, it's not that simple. Because if you're attracting visitors to the outskirts, to Ilulisat, to... Um I cannot pronounce Ayofiala, Yokul, Akureyri, to Lapland, the carbon footprint of uh, transporting uh, people from all corners of the globe is enormous. On the other hand, you would like to diversify the local economic uh, portfolio through tourism. So what is exactly right here? As we've heard, it's about finding the right balance and putting the local inhabitants first. Tourism will continue to grow in the years to come. And this means that the pressure to find that balance will only become more apparent. So the question is, how will the Nordics brand themselves in the future? Not only to remain hip among tourists, but to preserve what's already there. Current interest in remote areas in Nordic countries, whether they be Arctic or subarctic, will I think, in part, continue to be based on natural resources, last chance tourism, and sort of this interest in flora and fauna. One way to enhance that kind of topicality and a cunning way of re-actualizing uh, um, uh, faraway places in the north is uh, that... Uh, a play, but also go beyond and expand uh, those cliches. Uh, indigenous populations living in harmony with nature, surviving in harsh circumstances. Uh, because there are no uh, places that are island. Uh, there are no places that are untouched. Uh, we are all part of uh, global resource flows. We are in the part of the cosmopolitan uh, world. There are people who are occasionally visiting uh, remote places as well. And I think we have to thrive on and capitalize on those type of new hybrid connections between the local and the global. I've always loved off-the-beaten-path tourism. I find all the trips that take me to far-fledged places to be the most exciting of all. But as more and more of us travel to the middle of nowhere... We're also putting pressure on pristine landscapes and potentially overwhelming remote communities. As travelers, it's up to us to do our part in striking the balance between gaining unforgettable experiences and leaving no trace. Do you want to organize your own Nordic Talks event? Check out NordicTalks.com for all of the resources that you'll need to get started. I'm Afton Halloran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>